Hi, I'm Lottie Morley and this is LadyPod, the podcast celebrating wonderful women. My guests will be sharing their inspiring stories about how they got to where they are and a few funny tales along the way. This series, we're focusing on the pandemic. We'll be hearing from women on the front line and those who can help make our time in lockdown a bit more bearable. Today, my guest is a paediatric doctor and part-time personal trainer. Aisha Iqbal helps women to lose weight in a healthy way and learn to love their bodies. How does she do that? Well, she's here to tell us now. Welcome to the podcast, Aisha. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited for our chat. Oh, I'm so glad you can be here. Really, really excited. Um, so let's start off by telling us what you do. I know you're a, you're a doctor, but tell us more about that. From my doctoring side of things, um, I'm a paediatric doctor. I'm, a, I'm training in paediatrics. Um, so my daytime life and sometimes my nighttime life, um, I've just come off night shifts. So, um, yeah, so I, I work with um, children and babies and um, seeing, you know, newborn babies, doing their newborn checks, as well as um, any kids that come in with the weird and wonderful bugs and things that they pick up. Um, it's a really enjoyable job because even though it's hard to see kids when they're sick, they often, when they do bounce back, they bounce back and they're back to their normal selves when they're running around. And even sometimes when they're sick, like they can make you laugh in the weirdest of ways. Um, so, and it also makes me feel like I can stay a kid forever because I'm working with kids. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That sounds good. That sounds good. Absolutely. well, obviously, at the moment, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, what's that been like, being a, a doctor during all of this? Um, it brings about lots of different feelings and um, a completely different experience. Um, so we've had to change the way that we work. So obviously, there's no kind of outpatient clinics and seeing patients in that department, which is also a big part of our training. Um, but then we've also had to change our rotors. So we're doing a lot more kind of um, unsociable hours with the night shifts and evening work to make sure that there's enough people around um, and to cover for when we've had sickness within our own team um, because we've had plenty of that in the last couple of months. Um, and in terms of like the paediatric cases that we've been seeing, we it was kind of like um, a reduction of the normal things that we often see people come in where they just need to have a review by a specialist um, where the GPs were worried and they send them in. But then the sick kids that we've seen have had um, quite symptoms, quite a lot of symptoms where we've had to deal with it. And the way that it's come about is you just don't know what to expect. Like you don't know, is this symptom being caused by COVID or is this being created by something else? Um, so it's it's been an interesting time to see, you know, like how people, how kids have presented because a lot of the things that we've seen in the media have often been about adults because the adults are the ones that have experienced kind of the worst cases. Um, So it's interesting seeing how the kids are being affected by it. Um, So it's it's just been a very, very weird time. Um, And it's kind of thrown everything that you know out the window because we've had to change so many of the things that we do. Absolutely. And I have a friend actually who's a paediatric doctor and she said to me, it's, it is really difficult, echoed what you said, uh, because she said all the children or the majority of children that come in with something wrong all have a fever. Yeah. So obviously, or they all have a high temperature. 
And exactly. so that's a, that's a COVID kind of, you know, a no-no. Uh, yeah. and, and she said it's really difficult to decipher between the, the symptoms. Absolutely, because kids, majority of the time, you know, the kids that we see will have a fever because that's just how kids deal with um, being unwell. Whereas with adults, you don't see fevers as often. Um, but because of the criteria of which patients you treat as potential COVID, if they've got temperature, they automatically fall into that category. And that then means that a lot of patients, which we might see and think of is probably not COVID, but we have to treat them like it is until proven otherwise. Um, so that, that's been an interesting um, thing to kind of experience because like you say, we're, we're so used to seeing kids with temperatures, but then the criteria is saying something completely different that, you know, if someone's got a temperature, they need to be considered for COVID. So um yeah, and, that, and that's one of the ways how working with kids is different to adults because we're used to seeing fevers in children. It's like kind of your bread and butter when you've got a sick child. Um, but in adult medicine, you you only really see people having fevers when they've got like a good going infection. And how have the kids been dealing with it? Because obviously, I mean, you're probably all covered in PPE and it's probably a scary time for children yeah. anyway if they have to go to hospital. So how have they been dealing with that? I think it's... It's really difficult because normally when you've got a child who's like, let's say, five, six years old, you interact with them a lot with your facial expressions. And I didn't quite realise this until now where we're masked up. And when you're talking to them, even if you're smiling behind your mask, they can't really tell. Um, and so those kind of techniques that you use to calm them down, um, you can't really use the same um, techniques. And on top of that, when you've got a mask on, it's hard for people to actually hear what you're saying as well um the amount of times we're having to say to each other what did you just say because you can't quite you're not able to lip read and we underestimate how often we're using lip reading along with the sound in order to understand what someone's saying to you um so i think um i think some kids find it really really daunting because they just stare at you and they're like they don't say anything but they're just staring um, and you can't do anything to kind of like calm them down um, but then some are kind of intrigued as well and will have asked like, why are you wearing a mask and all that kind of stuff. So it really varies depending on the child you've got and what their personality is like. So have you had to adapt then your techniques? You know, you're obviously you're used to sort of smiling and being friendly and giving out those kind of physical gestures. But what what, what have you tried to do now instead? I've still found it really, really difficult. And I think a lot of my colleagues have as well, because it's just... I know with myself, it's a lot to do with like my face. So instead, I've been trying to use like the toys and things that we have around, um, but I don't find them as effective because I think um, being able to see who you're speaking to as for a child is really important. Um, and being able to kind of make them laugh is also important. So I've tried to like find different means, like by telling them jokes or um, just kind of trying to ask them about the things that they're interested in but I don't think it works as well with every child. Whereas the ability to, um, you know, blow a raspberry or um, stick your tongue out or something like that, like those things kids inherently just find funny. Whereas um, trying to build a rapport by asking them about their favourite TV show doesn't always work. <laughs> but um, I'm sure that once, you know, once this uh, pandemic kind of dies away, that we could hopefully go back to our normal routines um, and maybe... In the coming months, I'll learn even more techniques to try and um, calm the kiddies down. 
God, that sounds difficult, doesn't it? Um, and like you said, yeah, there are so many non-verbal gestures that, that kids pick up on, yeah. facial expressions, little things like like sticking your tongue out. That's such a good example. Um, I, I spoke to somebody actually who's a doctor who works with adults, and she said that they had been um, printing out photos of themselves without the PPE on and laminating them and putting them on top of their on top of their PPE. Oh yeah, I've seen some people do that. Yeah, and I think that's that's a nice way for people to actually recognise who it is that's coming and seeing them because you don't, if you don't see someone's face, you don't necessarily recognise them the next time that they come round. Um, but yeah, I think it's just again like we've just had to adapt in so many different ways and in ways that we probably didn't think of right at the beginning when this started. And I I've seen that you've been running wellbeing sessions for other medical professionals. Is that right? Yeah, so I did a few um, um, like webinar type sessions um, because I'm really passionate about healthcare workers looking after themselves because I think we sacrifice a lot. We sacrifice a lot of time, a lot of energy, both physically and mentally. And I think often we just keep going, keep going, keep going until we hit burnout. And even though it is something that more and more um, hospitals and teams are talking about, I still think it's not talked about enough. Um, and hopefully the kind of effect of having been in, through this pandemic will make people more aware of how they should look after each other. Um, but yeah, so the, the idea behind the webinar was just to give some basic tips of how people can look after themselves during this time. Um, and simple things like just taking 10 minutes to have a cup of tea and to watch a YouTube video or watch one of your favourite programmes. Like we underestimate the effect of taking time for ourselves and how that will then make us better professionals if we're looking after ourselves first and foremost. Whereas if we're grumpy, then that's going to be kind of coming across in the way that we're working. Um, so I think it's just really important to look after yourself from the beginning because so many people hit burnout and that's unfortunate because it's a profession where we're looking after other people's health and sadly it then leads to, sometimes can lead to our own our own health being affected. Definitely, it's such a demanding job, isn't it? Um, how did it go down? What did people think? Um, people found it very useful and I think it's because sometimes you just need to be reminded of those little small things um you know the, the, the small things that maybe you underestimate how much they can have an effect um, and just being told about them again is like oh actually yeah maybe I could do that maybe I could just take 10 minutes to read a book or go for a walk and those kinds of things and yeah and I really enjoyed it because I think it's really important to look after each other within the profession as well it's not just about looking after yourself because we are a team and and we we, we work in such big teams that you know, the strength of each individual makes the strength of the team. So now you're a doctor. You're also a part-time comedian by the sounds of it and a part-time <laughs> a part-time personal trainer as well. Firstly, how do you find the time? That's a good question. Uh, I, I don't quite know the answer to that. I mean, people always ask me this and I'm like, I don't actually know how I find the time, but sometimes somehow I manage to find it. And um, I think it's Part of it comes from like the passion of everything behind what I'm doing, like um, from the kind of personal training and the weight loss coaching side of things. The passion behind that is simply from the fact that um, I'm a big believer in not making things difficult. And I think the kind of well weight loss industry that we have around us, like the, the standard things that people go to, I believe they make it difficult for people because they 
push you towards having diet and having unhealthy relationships with food. Um, when in actual fact, if you change your lifestyle to be one that's enjoyable, one way you're looking after yourself, the byproduct of that is going to then be that you're in a place where you're feeling physically um, healthy and where you're you've got a good relationship with your body because I think diets inherently push people towards having um, a negative view of their body where it currently is. And it's this idea that when you get to your goal weight, that's when you're going to be happy. But actually the journey should be that you're on a journey to be happy now and, you know, working on yourself to be as healthy as possible, both physically and mentally. And when you do that, one of the byproducts often is if, if you've if you're somebody who has weight that you want to lose, it starts coming off because you're no longer stressed, because you're in a better place where you are actually positive um, and you're eating better for yourself and for your health rather than because you're trying to lose the pounds. Um, and I think when I get really passionate about stuff, I just find the time, I make the time for it because um, it's just something that I want to be able to do. Um, and I think we all can find time when we really, really want to. Um, and equally, we can always spend, we can find the time to lounge around and have chill out time as well, even though sometimes we tell ourselves that we can't. Um, I mean, we've all got the same 24 hours in a day. And there's so many people, like when you look up to them, you think, oh, that person's managed to do so much with their life. And, oh, they've got like, this really su successful business. Like, how did they do it? But you know they might have resources or they might have something you don't have but the one thing that we all have is the same 24 hours no one's got more time in their day than you know like physically there is no more time in anyone else's day like everyone's got the same amount of hours yeah absolutely what's that isn't there a mug that says even Beyonce has 24 hours in a day or something <laughs> yeah something like that I've heard, I've seen that um uh, go around quite a bit yeah <laughs> And I think you speak about weight loss and I think a lot of people, particularly women, do struggle with that quite a lot. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's partly because there is this focus on it being your diet and you need to follow X plan in order to look like this. You need to follow having like you need to cut down your calories and you need to stop eating carbs and all that kind of stuff that we hear. But actually, the more you look into the research, there's, there's so much behind it where actually our bodies are like you know, they're not, it's not like you've got separate entities. You've got like the way your stress affects your eating habits and the way your sleep affects your eating habits and the way your exercise then affects how your body works. All of these things come hand in hand. And I think people talk about exercise and they talk about um, the, the food that you're eating and trying to cut down calories and things. But nobody really talks about how is stress affecting um, your physical body and the way that it affects weight gain or weight loss. Nobody's really talking about sleep. And both of these things are like huge, along with also like how we treat ourselves in terms of um, the way we look at ourselves and the way the way we think about things and our mindset. These all play massive roles. And I think because people are so focused on just the diet alone, they, yes, yeah, some people manage to lose lots of weight um, when they're following a particular diet but they're only following it for a period of time and then they go back to their old habits because actually you're not working on changing yourself in a holistic way. You're trying to just get to that point and you're trying to get to that point as quick as possible because you want the easy route where actually working on yourself is a lot harder and working on yourself in multiple aspects seems more scary. So we try to find the quick fix. And this is why often people go for like um, 
like meal replacement shakes and things and where they're, they're just drinking milkshakes rather than actually eating because that seems easier than saying, okay, I'm going to reduce down the chips that I'm eating or, um, you know, like the meals that I'm having forever. I'd rather just have oh, two weeks where I'm drinking shakes, get into the shape that I want to be in for the wedding or the party or whatever, um, and then kind of do that cycle again and again every time that they want to be in shape or in a mm. certain weight. But that's a really unhealthy way to look at it. Um, and I think it's sad because it's such a big industry and people make so much money off like the concept of weight loss. There's You've got all these companies that are pushing that agenda of like trying to sell their products and to sell their concepts. And then all these women and men who are, you know, desperate to be in the best health for whatever reason. And because, you know, the, there's so much information out there, people get overwhelmed and they go with what seems to be the easiest route. And that's how they then get sucked into these kind of programs and, and strategies that maybe are not the best and not the healthiest for them. Um, and, and, you know, there's so much research out there that when people diet and they do it for short periods and they're, they're, they're more likely to then actually put on more weight over time than if they just were to look at their life in a, in a holistic way, which is something so many people see. So many people will be like, I dieted, I lost the weight and then it came back again. I dieted, I lost the weight and I've gained even more. Um, and it's just it's unfortunate because I often also worry about how how that's going to then have an impact on the future generation. Because if you're a young girl and you constantly see your mum dieting, then that is something that just gets built up in your head. And then when you're older, you end up doing the same things. Um, and it also pushes people to, pushes young girls to have really unhealthy um, ideas about their body weight and how they should look, rather than them focusing on actually, I want to be as stress-free as possible or I want to make sure that I'm doing the things that are going to make me feel good um because like I said the, the byproduct of doing all those things to look after yourself is that you're going to feel in a better place physically and mentally and be happy in the place that you're in and that should be our ultimate goal um to to be happy I think a lot of those problems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, do they stem from impatience and, uh, well, a lack of education and impatience? I know I am absolutely, I'm so guilty of being like, right, I've been healthy eating for a week. Why have I not lost a stone? (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's not how it works, but I I fall into that trap every time. Yeah, I think... um... I feel like we've become a population of people who just want everything instantly. Like if you want a meal, you just order it from um, an app that's going to get it delivered to your door. You don't even need to leave your house. Um, If you want to watch a movie, you stream it on your laptop or your TV. You don't even have to go anywhere. Like we want everything instantly. And with our fitness and our health, it's exactly the same. People literally want things to, at a click of a finger, be changed um and you you often also see it with patients as well like sometimes people um will have a chronic health problem and they just want it fixed like they want it to go away straight away and actually it takes time like nothing most of these things like people don't just put weight on overnight um people don't um struggle with their fitness overnight it's an accumulation of like months years of certain habits that have been uh, ingrained in your life and in order to undo that it takes time but I think we are just impatient. We just want everything really, really quickly. Um, even though often, I mean, I say this to, to ladies that I work with, is that we've got evidence in our own lives where 
we have been patient and we've worked at it and we've had to um, just know that there was light at the end of the tunnel. So like when someone's pregnant, it's like that's nine months that you need to be patient. You don't want that baby to come any earlier than nine months. So we can apply that to other parts of our lives. But I think it's just, like I said, I think we're we're becoming more and more of a population where we're just impatient and we want everything at the tip of our fingertips. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 embedded in our culture, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like you said, uh, dieting fads and stuff like that. It is a bit of an, an exploitative in- industry, really, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that is something that just gets me really angry because I often see like people... Um, making these scientific claims about certain products and it's like no that's actually complete rubbish like there's you know if if you're somebody who who doesn't understand science and someone tells you oh look there's science science behind this you just believe it and you think oh it's going to be really good for me but when you look into it there's no substance to it and I think that makes me really angry because I just think people's people's lives are not there to be played with people's health is not there to be played with and when um when you're promoting certain methods or certain products um, that can be unhealthy for someone, both physically or mentally, it's just, it's not something I think should be taken really lightly. And unfortunately it is because people can make money from it. Like if you're, um, when you look into like how to make money online or what kind of businesses to start, one of the top things that people always say is weight loss is a massive industry. And then you can always make money from kind of talking about, health and fitness and weight loss because there is so many people who struggle with it um and I think that then leaves it open to people coming out the woodworks who maybe don't have the expertise that they should really have to talk about it or um who don't necessarily have the right intentions what would you say is the secret then Aisha to weight loss living a healthy lifestyle all that sort of thing there's a few key components one is to be kind to yourself because there is actually evidence that the more kinder you are to yourself, the more likely you are to actually hit your goals, whether that's physical goals or like other goals that you've got in your life. Um, Because if you think simply like when your mum is nice to you and she supports your goals, you feel boosted. You feel like I can, I can climb Mount Kilimanjaro in a day. Like, (laughs) you know, that kind of boost that you get when other people are nice to you, if you were to be nice to yourself and kind to yourself, you're going to be able to achieve a lot more than if you're constantly saying to yourself, oh, I'm fat, I'm lazy, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's like the number one thing. And then the second thing is to um, take it slowly. Like everyone thinks that they need to suddenly, you know, as soon as it's January 1st, you're going to give up all of your favorite meals and you're going to go and join the gym (laughs) and it lasts for all of like a week or something. Whereas actually, if you gradually build it up into your lifestyle and you allow yourself to have that time to build it up, um, it's then going to be more effective because you'll be able to keep up those habits for a lot longer rather than yo-yoing up and down or feeling like, why am I not able to do this? Because you've tried to put too much on yourself. And then I think the third thing would be to focus on things that no one's telling you about, like make sure that you're getting a good amount of sleep and look at how you can um, minimize your stress levels and do things that make you happy. Don't do things because other people are telling you to do it. Um, And that goes for things like even when you go to the gym, like so many people will look at what Instagram celebrities are doing with like lifting weights and they think that's what I have to be doing. But actually, if you enjoy running on the treadmill, you do that. If you enjoy um, yoga, do that. If you enjoy swimming, do that. Whatever you enjoy is going to help you move forward in your journey. 
I could talk about this a lot more and you just made me kind of like <laughs> put it into like a, a box but um yeah I think I think the the main thing is changing our your mindset and being um being more understanding to yourself because I think so many people just bash themselves and if you're bashing yourself it doesn't matter if anyone else is saying anything good to you because you're making yourself feel bad and at the end of the day you are number one to yourself whether you realize it or not god I feel like I'm in a therapy session (laughs) (laughs) I feel good about myself already (laughs) I'm gonna try it I'm gonna try and be nice to myself and, and see if it works definitely So Aisha, are you still doing your PT stuff now during during the pandemic? Have you had to, you know, I'm imagining obviously gyms are closed, aren't they? Is that where you usually work? No. So my, um, I kind of run more like an online business now. So I do more um, one-to-one coaching or group coaching. So for me, it's kind of stayed the same because everything's done virtually. Um, but I know so many people are feeling the effect of not having the gyms open. I am myself as well because... I literally haven't been to the gym in like more than three months now. And it's it's um, it's broken away a habit and a routine that I'm just wondering when it comes to the gyms being open again, how am I going to build that routine back up again? I think, but we will wel- welcome the gyms being open again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so you've written about Muslims being underrepresented in the world of fitness. Uh, can you tell me about that? So... That article kind of came from the fact that, like, often when we look at um, fitness professionals and fitness, the fitness industry, um, you see people of a certain appearance. It's usually thin women who tend to be white, um, tend to often have blonde hair. Like, it's it's very much like um, one appearance. And even though you are getting more and more bloggers who are of different um, ethnicities and different um, builds and things, I still think like when I used to look for workouts and things like 10 years ago, you'd look at YouTube or you'd look at like what's out there and it's always people you look at, you think that doesn't look like me or that doesn't really reflect how I see myself. Um, And it was part of one of the reasons why I became a personal trainer, because I recognized that there was a a need for women who wanted to train with just women. Um, And that's not just from like people who are Muslim. Like There's loads of women who prefer to work uh, work out when it's just women around them because it makes them feel a lot more comfortable. Um, And that kind of like pushed me to become a personal trainer and then to talk about the fact that um, we're not all the same and what I want to do and the way I see myself exercising might not be the same to someone else's and there needs to be more diversity there because we all kind of want to learn from people who we connect with and I think if then you've not got um, an industry where it's diverse then some women who are looking to start working out and they see that these people don't look the same or they don't reflect certain beliefs and certain um, ideas it might deter them away from going to the gym or deter them away from going to classes because they feel like they don't actually fit in Um, and I think um, that's that's something that gyms and people who hold classes need to think about because like I said it's not just Muslim women like I've worked in I've worked out personally or worked in female only establishments and you you find there's so many people who hold that same kind of feeling that I'd rather work out where I'm feeling comfortable when there's no men around and I think that the more places that kind of jump on that idea then it will be better for them even in their businesses because if you've got gyms that are open in a way that everyone feels comfortable 
then you're going to get more people wanting to come in. I think it is changing. I think you are getting more and more um, people out there, but it's still not how I think it should be. And uh, you wear a hijab. Would you say you've ever been treated differently because of that in a personal trainer capacity? Yeah, and I think I think it's just sometimes like um, people have been shocked in like, oh, you're actually a personal trainer. Like people don't expect that someone who looks like me is going to have that much knowledge about fitness. And even even when I've been like at work and I'm talking to people about um, going to the gym or working out, it's like, oh, what do you know? What do you know about lifting weights? And it's like, um, you know, kind of know a lot. Like, do you want me to go into the science and everything that I've researched? Like, it, I think, it, and I, I don't know if that comes from just being a woman or if that comes from um, people having a particular idea of the kind of lifestyle that you're living, um, or maybe a combination of both. But I don't let it get to me anymore. I just think, well, screw you. <laughs> Absolutely. God, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so really what you're doing, it, you, you, you've spoken about that kind of stereotypical gym girl kind of look or, or gym blogger or whatever it is that, you know, Um you're kind of being a role model for, for for people who don't feel like they are represented in in the fitness industry. Yeah, and I think it's not just like about women who dress in a similar way to me. Like there's so many people who don't actually feel that that look or that kind of lifestyle is something that um, that resonates with them. Because if you're somebody who's trying to lose weight and you're, you know, you struggle with body image, if then all you're seeing is people who look in a looking like one shape or one way I feel like that plays a role in them making it more difficult for women to be kinder to themselves and to feel like their their journey is something that they're actually achieving things on because if you only see like certain types of skinny models and skinny bloggers out there and you're then comparing yourself constantly to them I don't think that has a healthy um effect on people's um on um a healthy effect on people's mindset um, and so I think it's important that there is diversity in both kind of ethnicities and, and cultures and um, religions and the way that people live their life so that it, it means that it's an inclusive platform for everyone. And also I saw you, you, you've written about social media and how people in the, the sort of gym and fitness industry uh you know there's a lot of sort of selfies in or, or a lot of like scantily clad people putting putting pictures on on social media for example and you've said that you you don't do that and uh you don't you don't feel comfortable doing it so why should you have to yeah exactly like i think um you know like people think that in order to be a fitness blogger or to be talking about health you need to somehow show your body out there and you need to show your your gains and your like um the things that you're achieving but why do I need to do that? Like, why can I not be sharing the knowledge I have and the, the experiences that I'm going through in other ways? And yeah, like you can have aesthetic goals and you can you can achieve things aesthetically, but that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be flaunting that on social media. And it doesn't mean that you feel, it doesn't mean that you have to feel like you need to do it in order to kind of fit into that, that space. Ramadan took place during the pandemic. Uh, it's usually a time for Muslim people to be with their families and to celebrate and that yeah. sort of thing. How was that? It must have been really different this year. Yeah, it was really, really different because um, normally, like, you spend a lot of time in the mosque with, like, group prayers and stuff, and obviously the mosques have been closed. So that was a big change. Um, and, again, like, you don't really see any family. Um, like, you're just kind of just doing 
your fasts on your own. Um, and it is a time where it's, it's very family oriented. You spend a lot of time with your loved ones, um, which unfortunately we weren't able to do. And then for me, on top of that, because the way our rotors changed, I was spending a lot more time at the hospital and a lot more time at work. Um, so that was um, not how I'd planned to spend the month. Um, yeah, it, it was a different experience. But again, it's one where you've just had to adjust. And I'm sure um, in months and years to come, we'll realise we actually learned a lot from that time. Um, but yeah, and hope, hopefully next year won't be like that. <laughs> So slight change of topic now. I'd like you to tell me about your podcast. It's called Lives of the Lifesavers. Yeah, so that was like a little project that I started and we did a few episodes. Um, and it was just when the pandemic started, it was like people need to realise that we're not just these, you know, everyone thought of NHS workers as heroes, but actually there's so much more behind us than just being healthcare professionals. Um, and so I think we did about five episodes and it was just talking to different people from different fields within the NHS about their lives and what they actually do behind behind um, the uniform that they wear. Um, and it was really interesting because it makes you realise just how many interesting characters there are out there. Like you kind of just end up being known by your title or your, um, your job title. Just in case you weren't busy enough, Aisha. <laughs> well, it was just like a short like little thing that we did. Um, I really enjoyed, um, but I don't think it's something I'm going to continue for the long term because, you know, time is still limited. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sounds it. My goodness. Uh, I mean, clearly you love helping people. Uh, has that always been something that you wanted to do from, from when you were younger to be a doctor? It sounds like such a cliche, but it's so true. Like, I think I was a teen, like in my early teens when I was like, yeah, I think being a doctor would be pretty cool. And I've always had these ideas of like, especially when I was younger I was very much like yeah I'm gonna go abroad and I'm gonna help loads of people and and um yeah just I think it's just nice to make a change in people's lives and I think um sometimes we think about like oh well you know when you're younger and you think oh, I'm gonna change the world but now I've come to realize if you can change one person's life that is one person's world that you have changed it's nice knowing that what you're putting out there or what you're spending your day on is making an impact of some sort and well, you mentioned about uh, NHS workers being referred to as heroes. How do you feel about that? Um, I actually had kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, I, I know it comes from a good place and, and it's from the fact that people feel grateful for what we have been doing. But at the same time, I feel like we are just doing we're doing what what we've chosen to do. And I, I don't know. I can't really put it into words why the word heroes just doesn't sit that great with me. Um I think it's often because I think of heroes like people who have really like put their lives at risk in wars and things like that. Um, and even though this is a horrible kind of situation that we've been in, I don't see it as a war. Like it's, it's a virus that we're having to deal with. Um, a war to me is something very, very different. And I think it's just like the words hero, war, like they were thrown around a lot. Like this is a war against COVID and and. I don't know, like, I just feel like those words mean something different to me. Having that comparison to uh, all that kind of connotation with war heroes. Yeah. And and you being on the front line and like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a, it is a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, because I think also like, you know, depending on what area of medicine you work in, like everyone's had it different. Like we've already talked about how paediatrics was different. And yeah, we are putting our lives at risk by being at work. 
but it's nothing like what war's like. Like when you think of what people went through in World War One and World War Two and all the other wars that are going on around the world, it's just it's not the same. Like I, I don't I just don't think we can put those two things together. So so how have you been staying positive throughout the pandemic? I think I've just learned to take things easy. Um, like I'm very much a person who keeps herself busy and is just doing lots and lots of things. But I reached a point where I was like, actually, I need to slow down. It's, it's made me realise that I do need to slow down. I need to have time where I'm just doing things for myself or doing things that are just like watching Netflix and lounging around. Um, I don't know what it is about the pandemic that made me realise that. I think it's maybe just not being able to see family or having to work a lot more at the hospital that I realised you need to slow down in order to look after yourself. I kind of had to take what I preach and apply it a lot more. And I think that's really helped me to stay more positive and to stay kind of in a good place in my mindset because I haven't been able to see family. It's just literally been mostly me and my husband. Um, and that is very different to the lifestyle I normally have because I've got a big family and I'm always seeing them um, and seeing lots of friends and things. So what would you say is the worst thing about being a woman? I think it's sometimes the fact that people don't take you as seriously as they should. I think sometimes people are just like, oh, you're a woman, what do you know, kind of thing. So that's not really actually about me, us as women, that it's a bad thing. It's more kind of how society treats women or that like, you should just be raising children and, and stay in your lane kind of thing. Mm. And on the flip side, what would you say is the best thing about being a woman? The fact that like we're just badasses and we can do so much like following on from that like it's literally like um so many women juggle so many different things and they are amazing at them like you've got mothers who are running businesses or you've got mothers who are stay-at-home mothers and they're raising amazing children and you've got women who are um running their businesses or achieving great things in their lives um and they they're able to do it with a lot of passion and a lot of um drive and i think um, whatever you are doing, whatever path you choose, um, women bring in so much like like the femininity and like the kind of the approach that we have to things is very unique. And I think men can't touch that. <laughs> and I think it's just great that we're able to do so many different things with our lives. What advice would you give to people who might want to become either a doctor or a personal trainer or a, a children's entertainer, or a podcaster, or any of the titles that you cover? <laughs> no one's ever called me a children's entertainer, so I'm going to add that to like the list of things now. <laughs> I've added to my CV. I think it's never to give up and to keep going, because there, if it's meant to happen, it will happen, and you'll find a way through it, because in everything that I've done, there's always been obstacles, and some have been massive obstacles and some have been placed there by other people. And if you just believe that you're able to achieve it and you you focus on your strengths and you focus on being kind to yourself as well and knowing that you can achieve what you're setting out to do, you, you can get there. Like, be your number one fan because you're the one that's going to get you to where you want to be. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Aisha Iqbal. Kira Cohen has produced this episode and our music is by Easy Peel. We love getting your feedback, so if you like this episode, please write us a review and subscribe on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app.
For more LadyPod, check out Series 2, Episode 3, where I chat to Bianca and Donna Alley about the Black Lives Matter movement. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.